0: You're listening to the home of cool, irreverent, and entertaining talk, right here on L.A. Talk Radio. You're listening to The Art of Love with your host, Lucia, right here on L.A. Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to The Art of Love. My name is Lucia. I'm your host and a dating and relationship expert. And I'm here to entertain, educate, and enlighten you about love, dating, and relationships, solve your dating dilemmas, take your live calls, answer your emails, and speak to authors of very interesting books. So, welcome. Um, I'm in an interesting position right now because I can't find the author (laughs) that I'm supposed to be interviewing. Um, But I have left messages. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call someone else. Just as in dating, you always need a backup, right? If you can't be with the one you want, always have a backup. And let's see if this guy answers. (laughs) Oh, It happens once in a while. What are you going to do? Of course, this guy is not expecting my call right now. I'm taking him by surprise. (laughs) I'm calling New York. New York, New York, how are you doing on this very warm day in Los Angeles?
0: Please hold while the subscriber you are trying to reach is located.
1: Is this Nextel? Maybe it is, huh? Maybe it's not. You have reached mailbox number 7-1. Okay. This guy's not around. Let me leave him a message. 1-5. Please leave your message after the tone. Hey, it's Lucia. I'm actually calling you early. Um, I can um, bring you on there early, so give me a call. <laughs> and you get this. <laughs> uh, it's 323 815 That's the number. 323 815 Please call me. Thank you. Bye. And if anyone listening wants to um call in, that is the number for me to answer your dating dilemmas. Oh, someone's calling. Let's see who this is. Hello.
0: Hi there, it's Ron Moller.
1: Oh good. <laughs> I was afraid I was afraid the interview wasn't going to happen.
0: <laughs> oh, no, 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 it's fine. Sorry about
1: that. Oh, no problem. Hey, just glad you're on here. Okay, so let me introduce you. You wrote a wonderful book called How Sex Works. That's right. And it's uh, also subtitled Why We Look, Smell, Taste, Feel, and Act the Way We Do. And you are an award-winning neurogeneticist, which I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and an evolutionary biologist with a PhD in human physiology so I'm not sure I'm going to be intelligent enough to uh, to do this interview but I'll try
0: <laughs> I'll I'm be sure I'll I'm sure be fine
1: and uh you've been featured on CNN the New York Times Daily Show and uh the Today Show so of course my first question is what is a neurogeneticist
0: so a neurogeneticist typically is someone who studies genetics but specializes in um, diseases of neurodegeneration, such as Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease. And for me, that's actually what ended up sparking me into thinking about sexuality, believe it or not, uh, because a lot of the studies that we were doing, you use very large families to try to track down di- like disease genes, like a disease gene hunter. And what we noticed was a lot of the children weren't related to their father's. And it turned out that there was a lot more cheating going on <laughs> than we we or any other researcher imagined initially.
1: That's right. I heard it was something like thirty percent of kids were not that wasn't their real father.
0: I don't think I for us it wasn't that high. We were finding maybe say uh, somewhere from seven to fifteen percent, which is still very high, right. uh, because because the, the you know it was unbeknownst to anyone in the family. No one had any clue that they weren't re- you know related to or who they were calling father was at least not their biological father.
1: Right, and so then, what is an evolutionary biologist?
0: Um, so essentially just kind of studying uh, how evolution uh, or through natural selection selected for um, specific traits and and explains a lot of um, our physiology and um, when you kind of combine that with sexuality, a lot of things you start start kind of making sense, for example, um, you know why do men or why are men attracted to women with that hourglass figure. And why is it cross-cultural? Well, it turns out that uh, curvaceous females um, actually store a special kind of fat called omega-3 in their hips, and that fat has been linked to kids having higher IQ IQ levels. And there's actually a study that was done that looked at curvaceous moms and and then tracked uh, the kids later on in life, and they found out that, yes, in fact, indeed, the children did have higher IQs.
1: Right um, But see the thing Also I've noticed Like yeah A lot of guys They say they want Curvy women But then how does One explain the fact That it seems like A lot of um, American men They want their women to Almost to look like boys To have the shape Of no hips
0: Just- and that is a great kind of point that you bring up, and, and that's the influence of culture. And culture also drives um, a certain type of, of evolution and a certain type of biological selection. And, you know, if you take a trip down to a museum and you, you see um, you see kind of the, the way women were portrayed in paintings, they were very uh, curvaceous. And it, that was more a sign of the times Uh typically the women the women who could afford uh, to be that heavy um, actually could afford to eat and see pregnancies through and Now I guess the big cultural shift that we're seeing is kind of what you mentioned you know more of the kind of androgynous um, female. And yet, even though that's being portrayed in the media constantly, most studies still turn up men, uh, in fact, liking uh, a woman who has more of a more. It's called like a waist hip ratio. Mm-hmm. So it's that hourglass figure, even if she is thinner. And partly the reason that um, so many men and women are attracted to people who um, who aren't heavy today, as as opposed to the past, it also has to do with uh, perceived future health. You know, today we know, for example, that being overweight or grossly obese can lead to many health problems such as diabetes and increased risk of heart disease and stroke. So we kind of know that that may not be the best partner for us to, you know, shack up with long term because we may actually be ending up with someone who may uh, have an early demise.
1: Right. Okay, so since the book is called How Sex Works, let's talk about sex. <laughs> um, you say that a woman's <laughs> state, of, uh, state of mind about her relationship is directly related to the quality of her orgasms?
0: But yet, believe it or not, and again, this shouldn't be surprising because <laughs> for <laughs> for women's sexuality, is much more elusive than men's. Men's, um, I don't want to you know break it down to just pure mechanics, but um, there's so much more uh, to a woman's level of arousal um, then she even herself sometimes perceives, and um, many studies have found, uh, kind of bore this out, where they noticed that um, even women who were, you know, shorn, uh, shown shown um, uh, erotic or pornographic images, they were actually um, physiologically, at least, they they became aroused sooner than men, which is a surprise to a lot of people because we typically think of men as the much more kind of visual. Uh, part of the species, and um, this was found out, it was, you use a certain kind of technology that looks at blood flow, mm-hmm. and the more aroused you are, the more blood flow is diverted to the genitals, and um, the surprising fact, is the surprising thing here, actually, that women didn't know, though, that they were aroused, okay. and again, this kind of goes back to the idea that um, there's so much to do with women's sexuality that we still really haven't fully even begun to uncover.
1: Yeah, I think... Um women like, because, you know, we could be turned on and then something will happen and we'll be, like, turned off in an instant.
0: Exactly. And and there's a lot of biology to explain that since the products or of, of sexuality, um, of having sex, of course, is pregnancy. And when you think about uh, how expensive physiologically for a woman pregnancy can be um, as compared to men, uh, it's so much more important. Uh, for women to kind of make sure that they are, actually are attracted to the right person because that person may up to be the father of of their future child and, and that woman may then have to carry that pregnancy for nine months and, of course, again, that biological perspective, it's much more expensive uh, for a woman to carry a child all the way through than for men simply to provide, um, you know, the sperm uh, to, to make that happen.
1: Right. Now let's talk about uh, this hormone that I have a love-hate relationship with, oxytocin.
0: <laughs> well this is a fascinating hormone.
1: Oh, um Yeah. Why,
0: if you don't mind me asking, why why is it love hate?
1: Okay, well okay. Well, explain what it is first and then I'll tell you why it's a love hate relationship.
0: <laughs> sure. So um this is one of those kinda possibly do it all hormones and for a lot of research that actually was done first in animals, it was noticed that this kind of had a lot to do with um, with uh, mother-child bonding. Um, and then when they kind of extended that the research to humans, it was found also through many drug manipulation that um, it w- increases of oxytocin in the brain can and also then increase certain um, bonding between you and your partner. And actually, even just hugging can uh, bring that on. Um, and a lot of women actually. Um, have been even given a oxytoc- uh, synthetic form of oxytocin called pitocin um, and during pregnancy. This is kind of what's done to uh, speed things up, and it, of course because it causes uterine contractions when it's given in a big dose. But coming back to relationships, it may be that that's what's providing the kind of glue that keeps couples together, because uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. A lot of studies, when they ask um, the participants to focus on the love for their partner, and then they're shown images of, of other attractive possible mates, um, it seems as almost almost as if that that um, they don't have the same level of interest as when um, they're they're thinking about anything else in particular. So when, again, focusing on the person you love and bonding with them may be one of those kind of biological factors that helps to keep couples together.
1: Right. So here's the problem, is that it 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 bonds you to people that you may not love or be in love with or who may not be in love with you. So, you know, when let's say a woman is dating someone and then the relationship breaks off after six months, eight months, ten months, whatever, she's still chemically bonded to him, and so she has to go through this withdrawal, so to speak, until the oxytocin wears off.
0: I see, and it's such a good point that you bring up. Um, you know, that's kind of like the, the, the cost of, of, of mating the cost of falling in love, of course, is to be, spurred, to be a spurned lover. Um, but, um, I, you know, when you kind of look at it long term, if it even allows you to, to feel such intense emotions in the first place, then I guess maybe it's worth it. It's one of those kind of double-edged swords, as, it, as so to speak.
1: Right. Well, I was thinking that we need to uh, you need to come up with an antidote to oxytocin.
0: <laughs> a, a blocker, so to speak. Well, not a... <laughs> to, a to, pull, to, pull you out, to pull you out of love, I Yes, guess.
1: yes. Not a blocker, but it's like, I don't know, a shot or some pills right. so that when it's over, you know, it's by prescription. You go to your doctor and you go, okay, I need to get this guy out of my head. And it's like, okay, right. here, take the shot. And then you wake up, you're like, Phew, it's over. What was I thinking?
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, you know what? It's interesting because um, it, when you kind of think about... Uh, the you know blocking certain kind of hormones in the body and the brain this is typically done uh, to get yourself off of addictions, and what you kind of talk about really sounds very similar And that falling in love is somewhat of an addiction and it's the same kind of um, you know there's classes of drugs uh, that you give to kind of yeah, wean people off of um, or to not feel the effects of, ox- of uh, not oxytocin in this case but say even say um, an opioid or a heroin or morphine addiction
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: but um, but there is there is there is actually a chemical that you can you could you can block, um, oxytocin and I, and I think the interesting research what they did was um, typically the, um, the street drug ex- ecstasy increases levels of oxytocin and that's what a lot of people kind of call it like the, the love drug or the bonding drug mm-hmm. and why it was so so popular and still is in many raves. What they found out was that if you if you kind of block if you give a drug that just like you described blocks oxytocin, mm-hmm. then that bonding. Kind of doesn't happen, but it would be interesting to see what other kind of effects it would have if it would just blunt your joy, uh, in you know, for life in general.
1: Right, but right now, there's no such thing. You're saying
0: there is. It's just not on the market. Well, what is it? It's it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's I'll, what's I'll used it. essentially um, for um they kind of used for experimentation. I expect experimentation purposes only. I think that's the best way to uh, to say it.
1: Oh, okay. I guess you're not going to tell me the name on air. <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably not a good idea. I'm going to
1: have to twist your arm off air. Okay, um, so how does oxytocin affect men? Because I'd heard that their t- testosterone counteracts most of the effects of oxytocin.
0: Well, it seems, and this is we still don't know, of course, how this works in the brain, but um, what, what we actually found out that um, men respond to oxytocin just like women, and even that kind of hugging or uh, a father holding his child will even actually end up raising levels of oxytocin. Um. So it it may be that um, just like we initially thought that, um, you know, somewhat it wasn't too far too far long ago that that um, science and physicians in general didn't believe that women can even orgasm. So you know it may be that men um, uh, are a lot more uh, so-called you know quote unquote feeling or, or have a lot more feelings when it comes to romance than we may actually have given them credit for.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet it seems that, like with sex, men can have casual sex and not get attached, whereas the women can So that's why I was wondering if it was the testosterone. Oh,
0: part. right. Well, yeah, and it, that actually kind of comes back to what we were talking before earlier about the cost of having sex. Um, you know, f- just for men, for men reproduction really is just the cost of sperm and semen, uh, but for women, of course, it's much more costly. So women, of course, by nature should be... Uh, Inclined at least to be more choosy since they kind of have to, they pay for their sex with, uh, they can pay for their sex with pregnancies.
1: Right. Okay. So, and also, um, why is it that men with more testosterone are more likely to cheat?
0: it also may it, have, it may have to do with with just um being more sexual uh, in general it may be that having that extra boost of that uh male hormone it with what may lead men to be much more inclined to having sex some women actually have gained benefit from having a testosterone patch uh, to increase their libido so uh, it may just be that you know men by uh, by nature by a kind of a, having speci- you know specifically more testosterone at least early on in life may be more sexual, and of course, as the testosterone uh, wanes down as a man ages as well, uh, may be responsible for men being less interested in sex later on in life.
1: Right, until Viagra came along. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: Now this is very interesting. Uh, Now you say that there are body parts that are reliable indicators of promiscuity?
0: Um, this all has to do with testicle size, believe it or not. Huh. When you um, when you look at um, at primate cousins, and what you would see typically is uh, the more promiscuous a certain species is, the larger their testicles. Which makes sense because they need to, you know, the warehousing and the the production plant to produce huh. all that sperm. Uh-huh. So uh, typically, chimpanzees who are very promiscuous um, have. Uh, what's thought to be the largest testicles, uh, for their size, precise. Um, in in comparison to say, uh, gorillas and humans, and then gorillas actually have very small testicles, surprisingly. And the reason it's thought that unlike chimpanzees who are so promiscuous, gorillas tend to kind of live in um, sort of a, a harem, a hierarchical harem where an alpha male has access to the females. And then there's a lot less competition going on. And men human uh, males, for example, actually we're probably somewhere in the middle. It seems that, Um, at least from a biological perspective and and our testicles, um, if you choose to look there, um, would help to explain why we're kind of not fully promiscuous say, as chimpanzees and yet not as monogamous as we might like to think when you when you can kind of compare us to um gorillas and you know it's been constantly in the news right now um there's been so many high profile cases and examples of cheating and, and and um of course women do it as well you know there was that the woman from texas who just came out recently who had fraternal twins who actually had different dads mm-hmm. so uh, you know this is someone who, who had sex in a, a very kind of short window of forty-eight hours, and and the two men's sperms actually ended up um, competing and impregnating two separate eggs that then went on to have fraternal twins.
1: Wow! And then of course there's the uh, recent governor who went all the way down to Argentina to have sex.
0: Right, and I'm surprised. I don't know why he had to go so far. <laughs> I can no one's really been able to explain that one to me. I mean, right. You have this. <laughs> So many uh, available women in in the U.S. I, guess, I don't know why you had to to leave the country, but yeah, no, it's and I think the bigger strain that um, a lot of people don't realize when they when they think about marriage and you know becoming um, involved with someone long term is that um, our lifespan you know used to be twenty five or or if you were lucky you would live until the age of thirty five, um, and of course you know thankfully most of us are living well past that. The only problem is that, um, you know, if we married, uh, especially if we married young, um, you know, most, there's so many strains that, that come along, um, and even, even if you think about the three, five, or seven year itch, the so-called, as they call it, um, you know, where does that come from? That also has its basis uh, in the fact that um, when people kind of brought up children in a, in a social environment originally, um, you could kind of be monogamous until the child was independent, and then once the child was independent, you had that choice whether or not to, to have another child with the current partner or to look for someone else because, of course, um, a human child by the age of about 5 or 7 is independent enough um, for you to move on. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we're asking a lot from couples, and, and well, a couple themselves don't realize that they need to do so much work to kind of keep that magic alive and kind of keep, um, you know, re-falling in love and keep the romance going Mm. to make sure that uh, you stay together and especially sex plays such a big role in that
1: absolutely now just going back a bit to the size of the testicles so are you saying (laughs) that the bigger a guy's (laughs) testicles the more likely he is to cheat
0: um, no, this is more of a per-species basis. Oh, but okay. um But I don't think the studies have been done. You know, it's a good point that you bring up. It may actually be the larger testicle size you have, the more testosterone you actually may produce, and maybe that would make you more likely to cheat. But um, it's really hard hard to, to know. But there's one thing you can do to actually stop a man from cheating, mm-hmm. and that's to chemically castrate them, and you may not want to do that because then you can't enjoy any other services as well, so, um, you know, swords kind of cut both ways, but, mm-hmm. again, it kind of comes back to that whole idea of um, women cheat as well, and men aren't the only one to do it, but if you kind of can rebond with your partner, that actually may go far to prevent that from happening, and part, that's partly, again, done, even simply, it doesn't even have to be sex, it could just be spending the time touching um, your partner and, and making, allowing for that oxytocin to flow um Again, to you know have that bond kind of remade
1: um what are the indicators that a guy has a lot of higher testosterone
0: um so later on in life, it gets complicated, but mm-hmm. um to know um if they were exposed to a high level of testosterone while they why they developed and while they grew, mm-hmm. um the typical male features of a square jaw um uh, and muscle mass these are typically the things that you see. That um, that had kind of are examples of higher levels of testosterone in development. Of course, later on in life, that can that can all change. And just like for all men, the levels of testosterone tend to go down. Um, but if you're looking for a man who has um, a high qual- high quality sperm, one way of, of doing that is ensuring that they have enough folic acid, and that's making sure that they eat enough spinach and don't get too much sunlight, because actually sunlight breaks down folic acid. And that's that's the vitamin I think that you know a lot of people are familiar with when you think about pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I think you've heard about it, right? Yeah, of course. And um, that's typically important in pregnancy because all the cells are kind of dividing, the baby's growing very quickly, and that the, vi- the vitamin uh, folic acid or, or folate is involved in cell um, division. So the same kind of uh, high cell turnover is involved when men make sperm, and so a man with enough folic acid will end up making higher-quality sperm. And some people actually think that this may be the, the reason why there's that cross-cultural preference mm-hmm. for, um, you know, Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome, and why so many cultures women tend to be attracted to, of course, on a spectrum, but a, a darker man within that uh, typical culture.
1: Uh, yeah, why, why are women driven to look for Tall, Dark, and Handsome? It may be,
0: again, that biological reason um, uh, that women um, may kind of, on some level, um, be more attracted to men who are darker, because that may mean that they have higher levels of folic acid or folate, because Uh the darker skin blocks the sunlight, and it's the sunlight that destroys folic acid. And if you don't have enough folic acid, then there's a greater chance that that, um, you'll have sperm that um, are not high quality, and they'll have um, certain mutations in them, and then that can lead to birth defects. So having a, a man who has a little bit of darker skin um, in your speci- in a specific environment that actually may go very far um, to increase the quality of sperm that that man will eventually produce.
1: Wow. So it sounds like a lot of the re- things that turn us on are hardwired.
0: Yeah, and and again, that that was one of the big impetus for me to write this book was to kind of get the word out that there's a lot of. Uh, of course, we have free will. That's the most important thing for us to realize, uh, which makes a difference and makes makes it. I mean, that's the whole that makes. I guess a purpose for even to study this, but mm-hmm. because that free will then allows us to make decisions. If we kind of investigate why we may be making certain decisions, we may find out. Um, that, for example, many women are much more prone to having um, one night stands when they're ovulating, and um, this seems a big mystery until you realize: well, when you're ovulating, that's the highest you're at the highest level of fertility. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it may be important for you as a woman, uh, or any other women out there who um, who might be um, going on on a date or or uh, you know just starting a relationship and realizing. For example, that uh, any time during ovulation, that's the time that she's more likely to have one night stands, and also that's the time that she's the least likely to use birth control. Interestingly enough, it's almost her body's way of saying, uh, you know, it's a good time to get pregnant. Let's get busy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and from uh, by, um, uh, a kind of social perspective and a health perspective as well, it's important to know that because that's when women tend not to use birth control, and that's when that's the time when they they tend to uh, be most prone to getting. Um, STDs, STIs, such as herpes. So um, having this knowledge and getting that awareness might, um, might make certain women make sure that they at least carry uh, the proper uh, protection uh contraception, such as condoms, if they're uh, going on a uh, night on the town and uh, happen to be ovulating at the same time.
1: Right. Absolutely. Okay. Now, what about um, the threat of competition? You say it changes male virility?
0: This is so fascinating. Uh-huh. Um, this is a study that came out of Australia, and initially um, uh, people, had, people were shocked by the results. They had a lot of trouble believing in it. And what, what it was simply was they, they noticed that um, that um, men in, in, in fertility clinics, when they were giving a, a sperm sample, um, were sent into a room with a cup, and, of course, the room is provided with uh, ample pornography, mm-hmm. and they noticed that specific rooms um, produced better sperm. So the same men, when they gave a sample, you know, um, over a few weeks, when they visited a specific room, the sperm uh, quality that they were producing tended to be better. When they went and started trying to figure out how could this, this could be possible, what they realized, that there was a very big difference in the type of pornography that was in these rooms that were producing these kind of so-called super sperm. And what they noticed was that the quality was better. um, And when they looked at the pornography in these rooms, what they found was that the pornography tended to be um, threesomes. But and that was turning on these men. But it's not the type of threesome you that you would typically think that men would be turned on by. It was threesomes that involve more than one man and one woman. So it would be two men and one woman in these porn in these pornography uh, uh, porno, porno, pornographic films. Right. And what they what the thinking behind it is possibly is that the men may be perceiving this as competition. And it, the one thing that kind of has everyone stumped is well how how could this happen so quickly? How can a man who's just watching a certain type of of, uh, pornographic film or pornographic images, all of a sudden that his sperm then would be of a different quality? Mm -hmm. Um, And it turns out that that others, other species and other animals, even fish actually do this. They control the quality of the sperm that they produce based on the perceived level of competition. So if they, if they perceive that there's going to be a lot of competition, they actually have, uh, may produce more sperm or better quality sperm in an attempt to kind of out-compete. Uh, another male. But how this is specifically happening in humans is a big question mark and a lot more research has to be done to see exactly how this works because again this is this is pretty kind of surprising findings that, is, that are almost kind of counterintuitive just to think that uh, men could actually control the quality of the sperm that they produce based on images that they, that they see in, in pornographic films.
1: Wow that's whoever would have thought that would have been possible. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um let's go into the sense of smell because this is so interesting because uh, you say our sense of smell is linked to our choice in a mate.
0: Yes and this is again fascinating research um that came out of the this time the UK and what they found was that um women who uh start the birth control pill um tended to 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 uh, be attracted to different types of men. Uh, and different types of men who smelled in a specific way and so much of the way we smell is actually surprisingly uh, enough uh genetically determined of course a lot of influence is uh, possibly the food that we eat and uh, any colognes or perfumes that we use but um the way it works genetically there's parts of our immune system that then the bacteria break down on our skin and that that's our so-called scent signature when we don't really wear much um, uh you know uh, perfumes or mm-hmm. colognes to cover that up and depending upon um, the type of um, immune system that you have. So if a woman is, is more closely related to someone, she, to, to another male, for example, she'll typically not find that male scent appealing. So in a way, this is kind of biology's um, um, kind of stopgap to make sure that uh, women are not attracted to men that they're possibly related to. Yeah. Um, now how does going on the birth control pill throw a wrench and change all of this? Well, it's been found that many women who start the pill um, are not attracted to the same kinds of men. And it turns out that what the study kind of bore out was Um, when the women started the pill, they were attracted to men who smelled more like themselves, meaning they were attracted to men that they were possibly more closely related to. And the reason being is uh, when women are are pregnant, they tend to want to be around family because family, of course, offers safety. And when these women kind of go off the pill, then they may end up um, not being attracted to those same specific men. And the big kind of complicating factor for all this is there's so many millions of women around the world who are on the pill while they're possibly looking for Mr. Right. And that might not be the best kind of strategy because you may end up not, not attracting or not being attracted to the right mate when you're off the pill. So the big kind of recommendation that goes out there if a woman is searching for Mr. Right is possibly to search for or to use a different type of contraception uh, while she's on her search uh, because um, using the pill can kind, of, can kind of throw a wrench into the natural system of scent and, and, and future kind of attraction.
1: Yeah, and in fact, you said maybe a lot of the divorces are due to the fact that the women were on the pill when they chose their mate.
0: Yeah, uh, so you know, so it, it's it's it seems kind of shocking to think about mm-hmm. uh, because again, so many millions of women are on the pill currently. Uh, but what what other research kind of connects to this and bears this out is um, women who who are more closely related uh, to their mates on a genetic level of a specific part of of their uh, genome, their DNA, um, are much more likely to cheat. And this, actually, of course, may be the thing that can lead future on to, in the future to divorce. And if you're on the pill, you're much more likely then to be attracted to someone you're more closely related to. So once you the problem then becomes when you're off the pill. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, when, once couples um, you know, get married and then decide to start a family, that's when trouble may start for these certain individuals because they may end up um, not being attracted to their partner in the same way uh, from a scent perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting. I mean, I can imagine, you know, psychiatrists, they're dealing with a woman, she's like, well, I'm just not attracted to my husband anymore, and little do they know it's because of the pill, possibly.
0: Right, and, you know, and this is the little-known side effect that we could have ever imagined, Um and again it, there's much more research needed to make sure exactly that this effect that that, that, that was measured um, you know bears out but if it does um this kind of really changes uh i think women's options when it comes to birth control especially if they're in that period of their life where they're dating seriously to look for someone for a long-term partner
1: yeah they need to get off the pill apparently
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it might be a good idea
1: wow okay i'll spread the word um now So we talked about smell and what about a kiss? How important is that to attraction? The first, Kisses,
0: uh, you know, the first kiss, especially, is so important. Um, studies have shown that uh, more than um, 50% of men and 60% of women um, decide then and there after the first kiss whether to continue with the relationship and not actually after being intimate. So in, in a way, that first kiss is your kind of taste test, so to speak, of, of what's to come. And it's used uh, by a lot of us to kind of make sure... Uh, we're with the right partner, and from a biological perspective, this makes sense, because when you taste your partner, you're actually, if um, they have specific, um, you know, infections or ulcers, or uh, you'd you'd be able to smell it on them. So, smell and taste is actually a good indication sometimes of at least gastrointestinal health. Uh, so this kind of may be a future indicator of your partner's health. And, of course, if it doesn't taste or smell right, you might be turned off and, and not consider to go on in a relationship. So um, if, you know, you currently do have stomach trouble, maybe another reason to get it looked
1: into. Right. Okay, now, um, what are some reasons that uh, a young guy, let's say, you know, late 20s, early 30s, could lose an erection during intercourse? Because I've seen this happening to, to several people that I know.
0: Right, so you mean like young men? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you, you think it's the, they're losing interest?
1: I don't know. I'm just saying it's
0: um, or just yeah. like a physiological. Yeah. Well, it... the one thing, one the one thing is, unfortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at this, um, human human males don't have a penis bone. So many males actually of other species have a bone in their penis. And if you have a bone in your penis, you don't have to worry as much about maintaining an erection uh-huh. because you have help of a, of, a, of, a, of a bone to kind of keep things up. Um, and um, human males don't have that. So uh, essentially, kind of they're stuck with the hydraulic system. And sometimes it just might be um, a hormonal imbalance. Or as we know, as you know, men get older, it might be a problem of a lack of nitric oxide uh, uh, production. And uh, where it's important, uh, for example, uh, uh, Viagra um, and other drugs, which helps to keep uh, higher levels of of nitric oxide going. But the most important thing, first of all, of course, for any uh, any men who you experience this is, of course, to be checked out medically and make sure uh, that there's nothing wrong from a physiological perspective.
1: So if it's not physiological, what could be like the underlying other emotional or intellectual issues?
0: It definitely can have a psychological, and um, again, not having that penis bone, you have to rely on um, a psychological, not just a physiological, not just a body arousal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you, um, you have to kind of be in uh, you know in a psychological state to be open to it. And so many men are actually complaining, especially now in, in this current economic situation. There's so much for them that they're currently worried about and concerned about that um, that actually may distract them. Um, and, and then it causes them to lose their erection. And one thing that's, that's that's most helpful is, of course, just to you know start any type of intimacy with a lot of foreplay and a lot of touching to get that oxytocin, as we talked about earlier, flowing. Uh, and that kind of de-stressing program uh, can kind of program the, the person's body and, and bring them back into their body and out of their minds, essentially, to get them to experience and enjoy whatever's happening to them at the moment and not have their minds uh, filled with rage thoughts and, and essentially want, uh, worrying about other, other things such as uh, the economy or their work or their state of finances.
1: Uh, I've also heard another theory because I've asked several guys, uh, what do you think of this? They say that if, it's because he's cheating and he feels guilty and so he loses his, re- his re- erection.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can lose, one can lose the, react, the reaction for so many different reasons, but um, I wouldn't want uh, the partners <laughs> and men for this time right away. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that could definitely be a, a romance or buzz killer. to have the partners to start accusing them right away of of, of infidelity. But um, of course, you know, that could be one thing. But most likely, and I think most often, it it has to do, especially with the kind of lifestyle that we have today, with just, uh, you know, stress. uh, Their stress response is a natural way for our bodies to keep us safe. Because if you think about it, it it evolved to make sure um, for us not to get sexually oriented, um, and uh, aroused when um, we might uh face the possibility of being eaten. So if there's a saber toothed tiger mm-hmm. that's that's eyeing you uh <laughs> from uh, uh, you know behind the boulder, it may not be the best time for you to um, lay down and have sex with your partner. So um, that kind of evolutionary throwback, of course, we're not faced with saber toothed tigers anymore, but the ones we are, they're paper tigers, you know, they're they're bills we might be being worried about or concerned about and those things actually might be uh, what's what's getting these men to uh lose their erections.
1: I like that term, paper tigers. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of tigers, um, I don't know if you're aware that I uh, I specialize in cougar relationships. I'm oh no. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, is that oh no? Is that a good oh no or a bad oh no? <laughs> no,
0: it's, it's, a very, it's a very good thing. It's fantastic. I don't know. it's very yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah, and so I'm wondering because I know what the socio-economic reasons for it it's happening at this point in time is but I was wondering from an evolutionary point what why do you think that younger men are attracted to older women and vice-versa
0: um, just for those socioeconomic reasons, uh, you know, they they pled out in the past, uh, before there was even the concept of money, uh, because it had to do with resources. Um, uh, you know, the older usually an individual is, uh, especially if they have uh, resources, then can offer it to someone who's, who's much younger. Um, and um, this is not a surprise, again, when you consider it from a biological perspective, if it allows um a male to um acquire certain resources that it would have taken him much longer to acquire um and and of course another partner uh for sex, um, it might not be such a surprise. And and I think the the cougar phenomenon we're gonna be seeing much more of as women um become um, or stay healthy for much longer and that's kind of what we're seeing it's not just lifespans increasing it's the quality of our lives not just the quantity um, is getting much better and as that happens of course we're going to see I think um, a definite increase um, especially if the economy keeps, um, keeps being so, so sour um, and you know lack of resources we might be seeing much more of this phenomenon happening
1: yeah, because and it may be
0: becoming much more socially acceptable
1: Right, because uh, again, you know a lot of people are still kind of keeping it on the down low. they don't want people to know, and you know I get questions like, well, how you know why it's the young guys you know how can you be attracted to an older woman? you know she's old enough to be your mother
0: right well you know when it, and when it comes to sexuality it, there's no surprise there because or there shouldn't be at least because you know we're discovering over and over that uh you know as women do get older um they get wiser, of course, from a sexual perspective. Um, so uh, having a, a partner uh, from, a, from Lisa, a male perspective who's older um, and much more, and not just experienced, but, but knows her body in, in, in a much more intimate way, its responses, um, and, and what to do with it in general, um, has a lot to offer to a, to a lot of different men.
1: Yeah, I think what people can't get past is that men, I guess are, you know, programmed to want uh someone who's fertile and someone who has smooth skin and shiny hair and all that. And a lot sure. of, a lot of times if it's not there with the older woman, they can't understand what the drug Right, is.
0: of course. But that's kind of what I was what I was what I was talking about earlier that when, you know, we're also going to see the quality of 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 women's lives uh improving, um I meant it also from a biological perspective, you know, now uh it's uh we're probably the the first uh generation of humans um that that uh, has the ability to really modify how we look and it's not just dyeing our hair it's um botox or fillers and 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 very advanced plastic surgery that wasn't available in the past so um it's it, uh, you know especially a woman of means can have also the means to manipulate her look and um and actually appear a lot younger than than she is but I think it's just a matter of time, like like uh, you know many other things when it comes to sexuality, uh, and you know we don't have to look um, much further than when we think about orientation. When um, I, I don't think anyone imagined, you know, 50 years ago that I'm um, in New York City, we'd be having a gay pride parade. So uh, I think it's just going to it's going to be a while until. Uh, but I think it's definitely on the horizon of seeing the same equivalent, but uh, a possible uh, cougar parade maybe coming <laughs> to a city near you.
1: Okay, you're giving me ideas now A Cougar Parade. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Okay, uh, now let's talk about love just for a brief moment. Um, How does being in love encourage fidelity?
0: Um... Because I think, you know, life is so difficult as it is. Uh, anything that can, can kind of help couples to keep together um, can be very important long term. And um, one thing that kind of love it can do is to get that oxytocin going, to get you bonded to your partner, uh, which from a rational perspective, kind of like you said, you know, you may not you have a love-hate relationship with it. Well, that also could be the the one thing, love keeping you together when, when for all practical reasons you shouldn't be together, but but that can have positive ramifications. And especially when you think about the the, uh, massive amount of energy, time, and patience it takes to raise human children, uh, it's phenomenal. So uh, love is the glue, essentially, that most likely is keeping couples together when, um, from a rational perspective, it may not be um, a good idea, you know, and it's so taxing, of course, And that's kind of what what may be pushing us and allowing us to stay together uh, for much longer than um, it would be and kind of, in a way, shutting off rational parts of our minds that says, you know, this is crazy. You should just get out of here. You know, find a new partner. Uh, But from a biological perspective, that might not be the best idea when it comes to child rearing. So it kind of may be that throwback that, that, that developed then that deep attachment to get you to, to uh, have much more, what on the surface seems to be altruistic behavior. Well, if you're having children with someone and um, they are the next generation and they have a certain part of you, um, you know, in a DNA form, then it's not so altruistic. Um, you know, to be able to stay and care for your children. It may be kind of the one big thing that um, allows you um, to see your genes into the next generation. So, um, I, you know, in short, it, love may be what uh, biology's answer Um uh, to keeping couples together and um, in 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 a semi kind of drug state and, uh, and allowing them <laughs> to stay together for such a long period of time
1: in a semi comatose state. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, because you know, well, not that you could still function, but but you know to kind of keep things keep things going because you know uh, look, the longer that the longer the couples are together, though they'll, they'll tell you that in the end it's, it's not going to be the sex, it's not going to be. Uh, the romance is going to be there's something deeper, something deeper develops in one way or another, and it's that deep bond that kind of couples uh, if they're lucky enough to experience in their lifetime, is is then um, that kind of reward that they get for all the investment and time that they gave up, essentially giving up not uh, pursuing other romantic interests. So that's the kind of one big payoff that, that you get from that long term investment.
1: Mm, okay, that's interesting. Um, now, in terms of attractive people, you say that it does something to to, to your brain when you look at an attractive person.
0: Yeah, and it, it may have to do with um, the uh, uh, watching symmetry. So, um, and we actually see this with very young children, even um, that they tend to even uh, babies who are who are a week or two old. Of course, we can't ask them if they if they think someone's more attractive, but they they children or babies that are that young tend to spend more time looking at something that they find appealing and what uh... what we kind of found is that that even at such a young age, they will look at a more symmetrical face for a longer period of time. And typically, most people say that they that um, they don't know this. They typically just and we've done this through manipulations. If you manipulate an image and someone who is symmetrical make them unsymmetrical, people will then say that they are they will rate that face as less attractive. And why symmetry is symmetry so important? Could it be um, a biological clue to something deeper? And it may very well be because. Um, Before the advent of uh, MRIs and CAT scans, we had no way of knowing how a person's body develops on the inside, except, of course, uh, times by symmetry. The more symmetrical someone is, the more likely that they're going to be healthy. And believe it or not, this even works out with breast size. It's known, for example, that uh, most women's breast shape and size are different, of Mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. Um, But if if they're significantly different... uh, you know, talking about, like, a uh, entire cup size in difference, then um, that's actually been found uh, to be a higher risk factor, believe it or not, for breast cancer. Wow. So being attracted to something that is much more symmetrical may have much more deeper significance. And um, that has to do, of course, then, um, so, you know, many women who might be considering um, uh, breast enlargement or reduction, um, they... It, it, from an ironic perspective, it may be more important to have things uh, in a more similar shape or in size than uh, than larger when it comes to attraction.
1: Wow, okay, I have one final question for you. Um, does sex serve some other purpose besides reproduction?
0: Oh, definitely. when especially when it comes to humans, it's it's that one kind of bonding factor and that that time to get um, the oxytocin flowing. in if it was just for reproduction, then most likely, um, women's um, ovulation period would not be um, hidden, and for so many species, they actually have a certain um, indicator ovulation, so that the males that they are around know that that it now is the time for them to have sex. Uh, and for humans, of course, women um, that. The time of ovulation is hidden. There's no real outward manifestation for males to know or their partners to know that they may be ovulating. So sex then um, may be um, the way to keep couples together and especially keep men uh, from guessing whether or not it's the time that that um, that that specific time of the month that they're going to be lucky and, and be able to impregnate their partners. So ha- making sure that you have sex throughout um yeah, your period of uh, of ov- or not just ovulation, but your kind of monthly menstrual cycle, is is what may go far and keep couples together in the long term.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for writing this great book, How Sex Works. Your website, howsexworks.com. dot com. And uh. org, actually. dot org, you're right. Okay, sorry, sorry. I may be
0: surprised if they end up going to Uh (laughs) Doc. Why,
1: what's over there? (laughs) Everyone's gonna go there now. It's
0: a very different website, I can believe it at that.
1: Oops. (laughs) Okay, dot (laughs) org, everybody. And it's Dr. Sharon. How (laughs) do you pronounce your (laughs) last name?
0: (laughs) Sharon Moalam.
1: (laughs) Sharon Moalam. (laughs) That's a (laughs) handful, I mean, a mouthful. Okay, (laughs) well, um, thank you so much for being on. It's been very interesting.
0: Thank you for having me, it's been wonderful Yes,
1: and if you um, get the antidote to oxytocin, let me know
0: I will, I will definitely <laughs> <Okay>. Thank you, <laughs> Take care. Bye. Okay, Bye. bye-bye
1: Alright, it's howsexworks.org <laughs> I know I'm going to go to the other side now The dark side, don't do that I actually have a book, um, a free copy, an extra copy of the book Can't talk now of the book, How Sex Works. So the first person to email me, uh, Lucia at theartoflove.net, I will send it to you as long as you pay the shipping, okay? Because it's a big book. It's kind of big. Um, so email me and I will send you that copy of the book. And thank you so much for joining me today. It was very informative. I love this topic. I love talking to someone so intelligent and so interesting. And uh, you can read an excerpt from my book, which may not be as intelligent or as interesting, (laughs) at LessonsOfLove.net. Sorry, I'm not a microgeneticist. Okay. Um, Or you can go to my website and sign up for my free weekly newsletter at TheArtOfLove.net. And um, that is it for today. Thank God he called in. (laughs) And uh, remember, until next time, that love inspires, empowers, uplifts, and enlightens
0: you're listening to the art of love with your host lucia right here on la talk radio